In the late December 1990, three days before Christmas, the Teed family arrived at their peaceful cabin in Utah, the United States, but they didn't imagine that this Christmas would be the last one for some members of that family. The place was invaded by two men who started a robbery, then killed some people, kidnapped others, and ended up setting the house on fire. Today, I will talk about the tragic story of Teed family. Hello everyone, I hope you are doing alright. I'm Fabio Carvalho and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. Today's case happened in the United States. Rolf Teed, age 51, and Kay Teed, 49, were married and had a holiday cabin in Oakley, Utah. The couple had two daughters, Linnea and Trisha Teed, 20 and 16 years old respectively. They found the place very relaxing because around the cabin you could hear only the sounds of waterfalls and birds, no other noises. There were no neighbors or roads anywhere close. It was practically a place of refuge for the family. In December 1990, the family was preparing to spend Christmas at the cabin. Along with them, many other members of the family would spend Christmas Day there. But on December 22nd, the four members of the family and Kay's mother, Beth Potts, were preparing the place for the special day. At some point, they realized that they didn't have all the things they needed, and then decided to go to the seat to shop. The cabin was located in a place so far from main roads that to access it in winter, the family needed to use snowmobiles, small motorized snow cars. The route was approximately 3 kilometers between the cabin and where the owners of the residences in the area used to leave their cars parked. Once they'd finished shopping the city, they returned. In the first snowmobile were Linnea, the oldest daughter, her mother Kay, and her grandmother Beth. As soon as they arrived at the cabin, Linnea warned them that she was going to enter the house quickly because her hands were freezing. She would warm her hands and come back to help with the bags. As soon as she entered the cabin, she saw a figure pass by the kitchen and go behind the refrigerator. Her first thought was that her cousin and more of the family had already arrived and that he was perhaps hiding to scare her. But it didn't turn out that way. From behind the refrigerator came a man in a gray shirt pointing a gun at her. A few seconds later, her mother barely got in the cabin and from behind a bed in one of the bedrooms, the second man, wearing glasses, came out pointing a gun at Kay and shoots her. Seeing her mother fall on the floor, Linnea realized that her grandmother had already entered and had seen everything. 
so one of the men shoots. Beth didn't even have a chance to scream. Linnae remembered that her father and sister were on the way to the cabin. She also remembered that there was a car in the house without much use and that the car key were in the house. Even with snow everywhere, she started to think that she could get them out of the house and thus save the life of her father and sister who were arriving. However, the noise of the second snowmobile was approaching and she realized it was too late. The man in the gray shirt took the back of Linnae's neck with one hand and with the other hand pressed the gun to her back. As soon as Linnae's sister and father arrived and parked the snowmobile, the man with the glasses, who at this time was wearing a mask, jumped in front of them and ordered them to enter immediately. Inside, the man asked for money. Rolf started to take everything out of his pockets and threw the contents on the floor. The total Rolf had was $105. He begged them to take what they wanted, but not to hurt his family. The man holding Linnae ordered the masked man to shoot Rolf. The second man prepared a gun to fire, but failed to pull the trigger. In a hurry, the man in the gray shirt didn't ask again. He pointed the gun at Rolf's face and shot. He rearmed the gun and pressed again. Again, the gun didn't work, but he tried one more time. This time, he hit Rolf in the face. The girls had no idea why this was happening, and a near silence took over the cabin. After the last shot, they were in no doubt their parents and grandmother were dead. Walking around the house with the criminals, the sisters realized that they had been there for some time before all this happened, because they saw food and cans of soda scattered around, several Christmas presents opened, a very big mess, and even the camera that the family had was out of the place which made them think the killers had also watched their family tapes. In the garage, there were several gallons of gasoline that they used to supply the snowmobiles. The criminals kept the girls busy and ordered them to spill gasoline around the cabin as they were going to set it on fire. Their plan was to burn the whole house and destroy all the evidence. Even though the girls were completely terrified, they obeyed. The men lit the fire and then sent the girls to drive the snowmobiles, each with one perpetrator behind in the vehicles, and they headed to the road where the family car was parked. When they arrived at the entrance to the village a few seconds after leaving the cabin, the girls saw their uncle Randy, who was with a group driving older snowmobiles. Randy waved at them, but he was ignored. Randy thought they didn't see him, but he also realized that they had two boys with them, which made him think maybe they were with their boyfriends, but even so, he had the thought that it was a little weird. The man behind Linnae 
asked her who he was and she replied that she didn't know him. Maybe he was someone trying to be friendly. Upon arriving the car, the criminals sat in the front, the girls sat behind and on their way back they passed Randy again, who recognized the car and waved once more. The sisters knew that if they asked for help, the man would kill their uncle, and so they once again didn't answer and pretended that they didn't know him. It was at this moment that Randy was sure something was wrong. Less than a minute after that, a new snowmobile approached Randy and slowed it down. Randy noticed that the man who was riding it didn't wear any accident or cold protection equipment. No gloves, pants, jacket, helmet, nothing. When approaching the motorcycle, Randy realized that the man's face was totally swollen to the point of barely opening his eyes. Closer, he saw that that man was his brother, Rolf. He survived the gunshot and the fire, however, he was unrecognizable. With practically no strength in his voice and shivering badly from the cold, he asked Randy to call the police because two men had took his daughters. While Randy helped his brother to get to the car and ask for help, Rolf explained what had happened at the house. After being shot in the face, he fell but was still conscious. He pretended to be dead and overheard the men talking about setting the cabin on fire. Rolf tried at all times to remain conscious so as not to pass out. He also felt them pouring gas on him. The criminal walked away and seconds later he heard the snowmobile start up and became more distant. Rolf got up and saw that the house was on fire. He tried to put out the flames. To avoid getting burned, as he was bathed in gasoline, he ran to the bathroom to wash himself and gave up putting out the flames. He took a third snowmobile from the garage and left. While Rolf was explaining all this in the car, Randy was driving as fast as possible and at the same time trying to call the police using a cell phone. In the car with the kidnappers, the girls, still in shock, saw the police passing by the direction opposite them. The police car hit the brakes, turned around and started to follow the car. The two criminals started to get nervous. They started shooting at the police car until the police managed to shoot the tire and take the drive's control away. Causing the car to get off the track and skid in a small rut. Several policemen were surrounding the car, pointing guns at everyone. The girls held hands and started to pray. The criminals, seeing that they had no way out of the situation, surrendered themselves. But who were these criminals? Von Taylor, 25, had a stint in the police and was previously arrested for theft. Edward Daly, 21, also previously arrested on charges of arson. 
the two were in a recovery house where they met and fled together on December 14th, just eight days before this crime. After arresting the criminals and taking Rolf to the hospital, the police investigators returned to the cabin to collect evidence. Do you remember that Linné noticed that the camera was moved and thought that the criminals had watched family moments? Well, they didn't watch anything. They actually recorded everything they were doing at the house before the family arrived. Edward filmed while Von Taylor opened all the family's Christmas presents, showing each gift to the camera. They did it with ease. They knew they had time. In the end, it seemed that everything was planned, from the invasion of the house to the kidnapping. The fire would be part of this, and imagining that all the evidence would be burned, they did it. For the sisters, their father is a hero. Getting shot in the face, pretending to be dead, not being burned, and going through the cold without protection to ask for help, showed a strength they can't describe. Approximately five months after these crimes, Von Taylor pleaded guilt to both counts of murder in exchange for the state to drop all other charges against him. He chose to go to court in front of a jury rather than in front of a judge. In the end, the jury sentenced him to two death sentences. Two weeks later, it was Edward's trial. He chose to go to trial with a judge. His lawyer argued that it was Taylor who made all the shots. The verdict? Second-degree murder, which means that the death penalty was no longer an option, so he got life in prison. In 2001, Linné received a letter of apology from Edward Daly. She thought about answering it, but hesitated. Just nine years later, she decided to answer this letter. In the documentary called Live to Tell, Three Days Before Christmas, Linné said, I held on to the letter and I reread it probably 20, 30 times. I was just very careful and guarded with my feelings. Um, I basically wanted to get a feel if he was truly sorry. Deli has um, shared with me that he has grown into a man, not the same uh, evil boy that committed the, the crime. I believe that I gained my freedom back for myself by choosing to forgive Delhi. For me, forgiving does not mean forgetting. I do not believe Edward Delhi has a place outside of prison, but when I came to the place of forgiveness, I felt a tremendous burden, relief off my shoulders. I felt free. Edward Delhi remains in prison in Utah. Von Taylor, despite pleading guilty, may not have expected the death penalty. He has repeatedly appealed his sentence, but the state remains firm. Therefore, Taylor remains on death row. 
the family decided not to demolish or sell the cabin. They decided to just renovate it to keep the place as the memory of the last place in the life of Teed and Beth Potts. Today, they still use the place to recover their energy and create new memories together. Liné married a childhood boyfriend after her previous marriage ended in divorce. She has four children from his first marriage. She is now with Nathan, her current husband, who ended up giving to her five new stepchildren. The couple now have a huge family with nine children. Tricia is divorced and has two daughters. Rolf died of cancer in 2008, and at the time of his passing, all the surviving family members were at his side. Well, guys, that was today's case. Share this episode with your friends and help our channel grow. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. I see you in the next case. Hey, você se interessa por crimes reais, serial killers, coisas macabras e tem um senso de humor um tanto quanto sórdido? Se sim, você não está sozinho. Se você precisa de um lugar recheado de pessoas como você... Venha conhecer o podcast Pátria Amada Criminal. Todas as semanas tentamos entender o pior da humanidade. Nesse processo a gente ri, chora, fica brava, fofoca, porque afinal de contas é assim que a gente fala quando está entre amigos. Suas novas melhores amigas trevosas estão aqui no Pátria Amada Criminal.